Welcome to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com, where we discover the communities that are making a difference in the lives of others. Our self-discovery is something we are all making on our life's journey. Here you will find the people that will be your guidance, that will be your inspiration, that will be there for you in support on your journey of life. Do enjoy. Our next show is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Choose Positive Living right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and I pray that I do this uh, author's name right. Dr. Author Kara Masolia. No, sorry. <clears throat> Please say your name so I don't dishonor Ciara, Ciara Macaulay. It's a long one. Ciara Macaulay. Italian? Yes. You're right. Great name there. We're going to be talking today about um, reuniting America. And boy, do we need to really look at that right now. Um, a relationship solution to bridging the political, social, personal charm dividing our nature or chaos dividing our nation, which is what we're seeing right now. And it's, um, he's a, a licensed clinical psychiatrist, which I'm sure he's been completely overworked in this last 18 months. He's been treating clients for 35 years. He's currently in private practice while also developing courses and podcasts for educational company in China based on his recent books, The Power of Empathy, The Soulful Leader, and The Triumph of Diversity. He's a faculty member of the International Association of Wellness Practitioners and is a global presence ambassador parenting um, to 2.0. He has been the faculty at Harvard Medical School for several years, lecturing for the American Cancer Society, chief psychologist at Metro West Medical Center and director of Metro West Counseling Center and alternative medicine division of Metro West Wellness Center uh, and in Massachusetts. And he was previously the chief medical officer in soundminds.org, a popular health um, mental health site. My goodness, <clears throat> You must have been at school for a long time with all the education <laughs> that you have there. <laughs> yeah. But you've certainly seen the gamut and you've certainly um, participate, which is one of the things that we really need to look at if we're going to find a solution. We all need to come together and p participate. You know, this isn't a, a one person just leading the bandwagon or leaving it up to our government. If we want to unite America or if we want to unite anything, we've really got to learn to listen and come together. But I think first and foremost is ask ourselves some very serious questions. You know, why is it divided and was I a part of that? Welcome to the show, love. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> How do we ask that question? Because we don't get divided unless there's differences of opinions and people thinking each other is right. It always comes down to us in, you know, maybe it's some insecurity or lack of education or a, a fear of something that stops us from kind of wanting to unite and bring people together instead of just looking at division. Do you find that? Yes. I mean, I think one of the main reasons that we're so divided here in America, and of course there are some other countries in the same situation, is that we, we misperceive. We, have, we are so in, 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 in inundated with media and Twitter and other accounts that that tell us how to think and how to perceive other political figures and so forth that people have not taken the time to really ascertain the difference between fiction and the truth. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to the same 
news station every day, you're going to be developing a certain bias every day. You know, as I comment in the book, the people who only watch the news for brief time in the morning and brief time in the evening, they were not news junkies, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the most accurate perceivers of what was going on in our country because they were not really buying into the propaganda that we hear on a daily basis. So they, they could make up their minds and differentiate fiction from, from reality. I kind of call Fox News, um, where they take a pimple and make it into a volcanic eruption. And we know fear sells. Sensationalism, the way they tell it, and the yeah. drama they put behind it, and immediately people are on edge. I've got something to be fearful about. I've got something to be hateful about. And we as consumers have to be careful what we're buying and be more discerning of, quite honestly, the garbage that's been dealt out and go, you know, it's up to me to find out whether this is actually fact or fiction and what's the agenda behind it. But we we don't do that, do we? We don't take on our own accountability. Well, you know, it it takes work to discover who you are and, Mm -hmm. and, and what your world is about. But it's absolutely necessary for happiness and well-being not only for ourselves, but the people close to us and for our world, but it takes time. Yes. It takes time. I mean, most people are going to listen to the news on TV or, or uh, on their phone during the day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are they watching CNN, MSNBC or Fox News, as you said, or One America? You know, and real, we have to realize that particularly evening news is distorted. Mm. It's, it's a lot of entertainment, as you were alluding to. It's a lot of entertainment. It's not based on facts. And we have, to, we have to have the patience and the tolerance to ascertain the facts. It's incredibly important to do so. We can't point a finger at someone else in judgment, in persecution, in righteousness. There's three pointing bash at you. And that's going saying, well, where's your accountability? You know, where, you know, nobody, you know, casting the stone, right? Uh, um, we all live in glass houses. We're, we're very quick to climb that bandwagon of hate and hysteria. And I think, you know, certainly in the last few years, we've just been seeing a tornado of hysteria. And people so easily get caught up in it, you know, conspiracy theories, yeah. hate theories, this and that. The next thing you know, they're swirling around and they don't know how to get out of it. And, yes. and it's really hard for people that are stuck in that to kind of realize that they've bought into something that's a bill of goods that somebody else is profiting from at yes. your cost. Yes, and especially if people are vulnerable. You know, mm-hmm. we have 40 million people in America living under the poverty line, mm-hmm. 16 million children living in poverty. Yeah. So we have a great deal of poverty in this country, especially in the Midwest and the South. And those individuals are very vulnerable to listening to, to certain people that are promising them certain things. They're going to bring back coal and bring back machinery and so forth and so on, none of which took place. Mm-hmm. But when you're, when you're out of work and, you know, the suicide rates in America, are the highest they've been in 30 years. Mm. So people, people are hurting. And when people are hurting and don't have faith in Congress, you know, before the second last presidential election, 80% of Americans said they had no faith in Congress. 80%. And why is that? Because we don't have senators that cross the aisle anymore. If you're Republican, you vote Republican. If you're Democrat, you vote Democrat. And people have become identified with either political party as part of who they are. Yes, yes. Much a part of who they are. You know, in the 1960s, 
three and four percent of Republicans and Democrats were upset if one of their adult children married somebody of the opposite political party. Today, it's 85 and 87 percent. What? As if it's like some awful thing. You know, my daughter's going to marry a Republican or, or a Democrat. Or, that's how how deeply identified people are with political party today. Where do you think this came from? You know, is, is this <clears throat> staring back, you know, five or six years ago where we started seeing this hysteria being built up? Do you think it's always been there and was just being revealed and now is being escalated? I think people have lost faith in Congress. That's mm -hmm. the legislature. That's that's true. And, and we do not have people across the aisle anymore. We used to in previous years, but we don't now. But there's also a consciousness in voting. If it was good for the people, they would vote for it. Who doesn't matter which party. And now it's um, just out of spite. They're going to refuse to vote just because yeah. it's a Democrat thing or whatever. And it, and who suffers? The people. And and the we, we know from credible research the idea that Democrats hate Republicans and Republicans hate Democrats. It's not true. It's grossly exaggerated. <clears throat> grossly exaggerated. You know, Democrats, they say Democrats think Republicans are racist. That's not true, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Republicans think that, that, that Democrats are socialists. That's not true either. These are things that we hear in the media every day, but the majority of people do not think that way. You know, it's it, about 6% of people are in the far right, about 8% in the far left, and the rest are called, the 67% are called the, the exhausted majority. Mm -hmm. They're right in the middle. That's where most people are, but we don't hear about those people. We don't hear about the centrist view. We hear about the extremes because yes. that's what gathers interest, sells commercials, mm -hmm. and makes more money. And keeps people fearful. And if you've got people fearful, you have them in control. Yes. We're, we're giving up our own control. We're giving up our own rights by buying into the hysteria. Uh, instead of deducing and, and, you know, asking the questions and has it got anything to do with me anyway? And where's my own empowerment? We're giving up our power all the time. And it's to whom? To whom is benefiting here? Who is actually benefiting from this huge division that is taking place? You know, that, that's a great point that you made because, yes, fear leads to control. If we can make people afraid, make people afraid of the people on the other side, rather than realizing you have more in common than, with them than you realize. Yeah. I, I highlight in the book a number of issues that Republicans and Democrats in general agree upon, but we don't hear much about it. Right. We, we hear what gathers attention and we hear what contributes to fundraising. Yeah, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm afraid as an outsider, yes, I'm in Canada, and then, you know, kind of happens here too, but I look at how much it costs to elect someone and I go, look at that kind of money, who's bought them? Because it's about who's bought them. And yeah. then you look at the poverty line of children who don't, you know, um, have medicine or don't have food or, you know, um, the amount of abuse that's going on with the children because of that neglect. And it, it just breaks my heart. And I go, well, surely somebody has got to see the disproportion here. Why are we spending billions of dollars to elect one president at the cost of people literally going starving? I mean, is this purely because the media isn't addressing that or have we bought into something? Well, it, it's a machine. You know, mm. people start running for president five or six years before an election. And you have to have a lot of money, multi-millions. You know, people from other countries, 
I have patients from other countries and they say, couldn't you do better? Aren't there other people who could run for president? I said, well, of course there are, but you have to, if you don't have the money, yeah. you, it, it, you will never, no one will ever know who you are. We've got to change that system, haven't we? Like I, in the UK, there's a cap on how much you can actually raise. And, you know, we need to change that because it just leaves absolute openness to corruption and, yeah. you know, and being bought. And then now we look at the politicians and go, OK, who funded you? And then we look at, yeah, but that they funded you. They've got an agenda. They now own you. That doesn't mean that you're actually working for the people. So yeah. whether it's Congress or, you know, the president or, or um, um, you know, political parties around the, uh, the constituents, we don't trust them. And we don't trust them because we feel they're working for someone else who put them in power rather than working for the communities. Yes. And, and the other aspect that is very discouraging is, you know, I have a client who's a, a lobbyist in D.C. She's she's been there many, many years. And she tells me that in, in the old days, Republicans and Democrats would, would have dinner together. You'd see them together. People would cross the aisle. You know, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan were close friends. Ed Kennedy and and uh, and, and McCain, Don, you know, John McCain were close friends. She said, "Today, you never see, you don't even see them eat with each other no. of, of the opposing party." The other thing she said is, "You can have breakfast with a person, a senator, and you ask the senator what they think of a certain bill, and they say it's a terrible bill. I would never vote for that." Then she said, "They check their pollsters." So if they're a senator from Wisconsin, their polls come in by noontime and tell them what the citizenship of Wisconsin wants, what they would like them to vote for. She said, and then you'll see them go on TV and change their mind completely. Yeah. No, integrity. no integrity. <laughs> yeah. Because they want to keep their job. Yes. Because it's a job where people don't track. Mm -hmm. You don't know how many meetings they attend. Um, one of the senators who ran for president uh, two times ago, one of the journalists took some inventory about how many times he actually went to meetings that was required. He missed 87% of meetings. Can you imagine not going to work 87% of the time and being paid? Right. But his constituency didn't even know that he didn't go. If he wasn't running for president, that would have never been found out. Right. Yeah. So they're lucrative jobs mm. with high paying money. And then when they become known, uh, a half an hour speech is $100,000. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's extremely lucrative. So the pollsters keep telling them what you need to do to keep the job. Yeah. Do we have some people of integrity that would go against that? Look what happened to Liz Cheney in America mm -hmm. when she stood up and said, I don't believe in such and such, and I don't believe this, this election was fraudulent and so forth. Well, they ostracized her immediately because she wasn't part of the Klan. Right. But that's the favorite thing of ostracizing people, isn't it? Is that, you know, we really be, become trash media. I mean, I don't know if you know the TV show, The Newsroom, which was brilliantly written. If you have the opportunity to watch it, they did three seasons and they take a lot of the current stories that were happening at the time, but although it's a fictitious show, but it was intelligent, but they were already fighting. I've got to get the facts and the truth out there. No, because our sponsors won't sponsor if you do that. And it's like, you know, we've got to look at who is behind the, you know, reporting. It has always meant to be in a job of integrity, of really reporting the truth of what is going on. And now it's like you're owned by the commercials, you know, by the by the sponsors. And yeah. so you can't go against that. And, you know, um, 
as you said, people will vote one way or the other, depending on where their popularity is, because they want to keep their job. But they are servants of the people. Yes. They're working for the people. When did they forget that? Or did they ever even know that when they went into it? Well, I think they will say that they knew, they knew that and that they're aware of that and they speak to that issue, but their behavior doesn't indicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We need people that are not so committed to one religion or one political yes. party, but they will vote their conscience, vote with integrity, lead with integrity. We don't have that now. We've lost that in America. What about and, Bernie Sanders? He's always been pretty consistent. Well, yes, Bernie Sanders is uh, Bernie Sanders. That's a that's an excellent point because he's been he's been of, of the same position since the time he began to now. Yes, yeah. yeah Bernie Sanders would be a different person in mm -hmm. that regard. He'd be an exception. Yeah, and I think that's kind of why millennials like him so much because, quite honestly, yes. they're tired yes. of the bull. Well, because you know, he's, he's genuine. Yes, and you know, we are we we've, we've been sold the the bag of goods and you know obviously this year it's been obviously the pandemic but we're seeing things kind of stabilize uh, on the political front on the surface you know uh, not so many tweets about everything and that last five years affected the world in the disruption and it's like the, the that office of empowerment is meant to be uh, something that you adhere to, you it's a responsibility. You are working for the people. You're meant to stand for the people. And it's become more of an ego thing. Uh, and seems yeah. to have been working for the people has completely gone. And we see it with a few political leaders around the world. And it's become a form of dictatorship. Um, and it's, okay, why do we have such a dysfunctional community and dysfunctional society, dysfunctional everything, education, police force and everything else, is if you look to the top and what they represent and the lack of integrity and that trickles down the people think, well, if they can get away with it, so can I. So yes. the word accountability has to come into the conversation and that means not just the accountability of people in power, but our own accountability because we don't realize things we say, things we do have a ripple effect. And so we have to have accountability and responsibility for our own dialogue and the way we treat other people. We don't want to fuel that kind of negative chaos. So yeah. how do we become the solution that is going to bring about a more you know, equalization, a more equilibrium? I, I think empathy is, is really one of the keys. Mm. Empathy is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another. You know, I have three groups that have been ongoing, uh, three psychotherapy groups have been ongoing for over 30 years. And what I focus on in those groups is helping people reduce their prejudice toward themselves mm -hmm. and others to see clearly. Yes. And we see people come in with all kinds of little subtle biases and prejudices about themselves and others. And when they leave at the end of two or three years, it's changed because we go over it and over it, you know, where someone will, uh, you know, not like certain person in the corner because, but they don't know why they just have a feeling. You know? And we talk about racism and sexism and, and we have to, and we gain clarity. Yeah. We gain clarity over time because these groups are focused on empathic listening, slow down. Yes. Nobody yells at anybody else. Nobody can talk over anyone else. I don't allow that. So when you're talking, we have to listen mm -hmm. and we have to indicate to you that we understand you and then I can talk. Right. And, and people sort of realize over time the biases they've had. Mm 
because they may think a certain something of a person in day one, and then in six months, they think entirely different because they miss so much. Because, you know, we just look at a person and we have certain ideas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I realize that a lot of what we're doing is we're going on emotion, not our thinking. Yes. And that's what I focus on in the book a lot about, you know, how once emotion comes into play, we, we, we have distortions that we, we, we don't even realize. We think they're factual. You know, I tell a story in, in the group about uh, uh, the title of the chapter is I Saw Jesus Move. It was, I, I tell the story because when I was a young boy, I was in a parochial school and the, the, I was getting ready to go to high school and the high school was a public school and a parochial school, but the public school had football and I was a, I loved football and the Catholic school didn't. So the Catholic priest was trying to talk me into going to the Catholic school and I was very attached to him. So I was very confused, but I really didn't want to give up the sport I loved. So I went to church every morning in this dark little basement church for eight days in a row. And I had this agreement with Jesus that if he moved to the right, I could go to the public school. And if he moved to the left, I would go to the parochial school. Well, on day eight, he moved to the right. And I was so happy. Now, I really believe that he moved. Now, today, yeah. probably look at me and say that nope. probably the statue didn't move. <laughs> but I thought he moved. Yes. And I, and I ran out of that church and I didn't feel any guilt. And I thought I could go do what I wanted to do. And I, and I was free. Mm-hmm. Because I saw what I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. That's what confirmation bias is. Right. You have a longing to see a certain outcome. And as soon as we get a little piece of information that confirms our outcome, we say, oh, yeah, that's right. Rather than being more objective and using empathy as a tool to slow down and say, you don't really know that that's right. What do you mean? Did you listen to the whole study to see, you know, do you know where it came from? Was it a study of six people rather than 2000? You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, one of the book titles that you have here is the soulful leader, success and uh, authenticity, integrity, and empathy. And I'm so glad that you mentioned empathy so much. Uh, and of course, the other book is The Triumph of Diversity, along with your America United, which we'll get back to. But so few people, you know, look at empathy and just think that it's, it, it's a woo-woo thing or somebody that is oversensitive. And I'm a person that very much um, promotes of feeling your knowledge, not thinking it. Mm-hmm. Um, because when, when the soul, your divine presence, whatever you wish to call it, connects with the heart in truth, it goes to the spirit interaction and the mind will know what it needs to know when it needs to know it. Because yeah. the head is filled with data. It's, God knows how much information it has up there. It's its own little computer terabytes up there. But if we don't know how to use the knowledge, then we're going to misuse the knowledge. But if we can bring in that, that empathy, that divine presence, that truth, kindness, caring, love, come from that place, we'll actually understand which knowledge is really impactful and how to use it wisely. Mm -hmm. Um, And that a lot is to do with that empathy and leadership is that when you feel it, you feel that truth and you understand it, Mm -hmm. not only because you've listened, but you felt the words that have been spoken. You express that so beautifully. It's so accurate. And, you know, there's a consulting uh, firm in in England that that examined the Fortune 500 companies. What did they find out? The companies that had an empathic environment Mm -hmm. earned 40% more profits than those in the bottom 10%. Yep. Why is that? Because when you're leading with empathy, people want to be with you. They want to follow you. They believe in you. 
because you're actually listening to them. Mm -hmm. When you employ empathic listening, you're a leader who they know they can gain your attention. And you may not agree with everything right. they're presenting, but they know that they were heard. They, they, were, they feel it. It's not yeah, just a thought, it. it's a feel it. You know, yeah. it's, we're so busy just head up. And, you know, you can spin any tale and it can be, you know, totally misstrewed or bought into and it can spin out of control in your head. But if you just take that deep breath, center yourself and go right down to the very core of you and go, okay, am I buying this? Is this really true? Is there something in it? There's always an element of truth in something. Now, I'm going to be still enough and calm enough to, to look at what that truth is before mm -hmm. I join the you know, the tornado bandwagon. But we really have to realize we're getting caught up in something. And it's very easy. It's very easy. We, we know when you're at a party or you're at a celebration, the euphoria, you lift right up. Well, it's very easy if you've got a bunch of people coming in with the hate rhetoric all the time. Yes. You get caught up. And so it's, you have to take onus of, is this kind? Is this caring? Is this loving? Not only to the other people, but even to myself or my own psyche. Yes, yes. And when you excite people that way with angry, hateful rhetoric, you produce the stress hormone cortisol. What does cortisol do? It takes your empathic range from out here to in here. Yeah. It produces very narrow-minded, repetitive thinking. And people don't even realize that they're being manipulated in a crowd when they're listening to that rhetoric. You're being manipulated to lose your range of perception to a very narrow perception, black and white thinking. You're bad, I'm good, I'm good, you're bad. There's no gray. No. There's no middle ground. No room for anything else other than what I've said is, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, anything when you look at divided, there's somebody come along that's kind of cut that knife down the center because they know they can't. They, you know, look at all the world leaders, even Hitler and everything else. I mean, he was a very insecure, troubled man, but he had an eloquent way of speaking and the way that he did it and the way he riled people up and the way he got people so afraid of him and to do such atrocities for him. And it's like you, you, when you look at him after the fact, you know, his power was in that presence of stirring things up, wasn't it? And making yes. other people do things for him. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Very much so. He commanded a crowd. You know, when I wrote the book, The Power of Empathy, I, I was away in our, we have a summer home in Maine, and I, and I was with six six of, of very close friends. And I, and I took out the, any reference to the Third Reich or Germany, and I, and I gave 10 quotes uh, that Adolf Hitler made. And, and then I asked people who made them. They said, oh, the Dalai Lama, Desmond Tutu, Buddha, because he talked about we are one and yeah. one spirit. And, you know, he was just seducing people in, in with nice rhetoric. And then it got more dangerous once yeah. they were attached and then more dangerous. And then he, and then he picked an enemy. You know, yes, and then, yes. you know, the Jews have done this to you and they're yeah. doing it to you, but they had already been seduced yes. by his language, by taking this depressed country and making people feel good. Mm -hmm. And his language was very spiritual. Yes. And he, he knew enough to do that. Not that he believed in anything, yeah. but he knew how to manipulate. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
you know, you, you recently had a president in America who thought that he could do that, but he couldn't because basically he was just a shyster. And, you know, and it was all about the anger. It was all about the hatred. And it was so absolutely evident. Um, and it, it made people who normally don't get angry, get angry at the fact that people were buying into it. Yes. Why can't you see him? Why can't you see this? And, and it's like people getting hooked up into it. And it's like, as you said, it's, you know, you're at the fair, there's all this candy around, you know, and you've had permission to eat it all. And now you're on this sugar high, but wait until you get the crash. Because yes. <laughs> there's always going to be a crash. When as as you as you've said and as you know, leadership matters. Oh gosh, you yes. Have, you have a leader who's sadistic and yeah. narcissistic. Yes. Eventually, whatever whoever they're leading, whatever country they're leading, company they're leading, it's going to be destroyed. Yeah. It, it always will be. And I try to tell people, I'm not talking about being a Democrat or a Republican. Yep. I'm talking about an individual. Yep. When you have an individual like that, it brings out the worst in people. And it gets people, Democrats calling Republicans names and vice versa. And, and it becomes a war because people like that thrive on that. Because that's the only way they can, can, can maintain power. They have no other ability to maintain power. Um, and look how long it lasted because, I mean, you know, Hitler managed to keep it for a, a good period of time and the atrocities that he, he got people to do on his behalf. Um, but, you know, other leaders, um, it's out of fear or it's out of anger or it's out of hate, but it, you can't keep that hate rhetoric up for so long. It's going to burn out in you, you yes. know, and it says that sugar high where you come down and you crash. Yes. And, and it's so much harder to pick yourself back up again. When you're in a state of love and kindness, you're on a beautiful flow uh, all the time, a, a wonderful rhythm of life where you can't knowingly go and hurt someone else because it's against the very grain of you. Yes. But if the, the hate and, you know, you know, it takes so much energy to go up there and to sustain and they can't sustain it and crash down again. And what do they do? They go out looking for the next addiction you know, the next fix. And then, and then to add to your point, look what's happened in terms of prejudice in America. Mm. You have the highest rates of anti-Semitism, highest rates of Islamophobia, highest rates of racism, highest rates of sexism, highest rates of discrimination against people of different sexual orientation. Why? Because all that hate gets directed to these groups. All that hate gets directed to these groups. So now we're a place where people from other countries say, you know, they don't want to come here. No. And when they see what happened on January 6th, and what I try to explain in the book as well, is when you see a man January 6th picking up a pole and hitting a police officer over the head over and over again, that had nothing to do with politics. No. Nothing. That had nothing to do with Donald Trump. That's a personality issue. That's a person who's never resolved their anger, resentment, and hatred internally and is projecting it out on someone else. That, that's not political. Because I, like, I, I have Republican patients and Republican friends. They would never do that. Mm -hmm. Take a plane to Washington and pick up a pole and hit an innocent person and try to kill him. And he was yelling, get his gun, we'll shoot him. I mean, who does that? Yes. And, and, thugs, and thugs. it's a thug mentality. Yeah, and they're talking about it like it's political. That's right. not political. No. That was the excuse. That yes. was the excuse for the thuggism. 
And, you know, yeah. we, we see this in military, we see it in the police force. You know, people used to go into that because it's a tough career because they wanted to represent their communities. They wanted to be that safety. And in a lot of ways, it's become the, you know, the fug mentality. And a lot of that is in the training, right? They're not training yeah. to police people. They're training to bring people down, which need the military training in the police force, which should not be. Um, it has its place in certain areas, but certainly not on your mainstream. You know, I grew up with the policeman walking the street. You knew his name. He knew everybody. And it was a community thing. You know, now is that people are petrified of the police, no matter what color they are. And you just say one bad word to them and out comes the gun. And it's a thug mentality. And so why are we allowing these people to put on the uniform in the first place? Um, where is the scrutiny of that? And have we completely lost control? Yes, I mean, and you know, one of the questions I've been asked in regard to this book is what is the resolution in terms of the police? I, I believe a, a clinical psychologist should be on every police force. I agree with you. <laughs> and and, and, and police officers then can be taught how to handle certain people who are mentally ill or in a rage or drug dependent or alcohol dependent yes. um, without, without reaching for a gun. You, you don't have to do that. When someone is driving away in a car and, and you're trying to catch them, you know, put a bullet in the tires. Yes. Don't shoot the person in the back. Put a right. bullet in the tires. Yeah. What, what's going to happen if you do that? The car isn't going to go anymore. Right. Instead of shooting a man in the heart, um, you could shoot a person in the leg if you have to. You don't have to shoot them in the heart where they're going to die. I mean, there are ways of dealing with this. And you know, I have, I've had clients who are police officers for many years and detectives and, you know, 90% of them are very good people, mm -hmm. but some of them are mm -hmm. people that should not have a gun and not have a uniform, I but there has to be an assessment there. Yes. You know, who is interviewing this person to say, look, this personality should not have that kind of authority. This person cannot handle it. There's no way. You've also got the people that, you know, have been, really handling it for a long time and then it's kind of one case too many and the post-traumatic stress is there and but the stigma is is if they go to the police psychologist uh, they're going to be deemed not to be able to go back to duty so they're not going to talk about it they're going to bottle it up and the next thing you know you know we have a george freud thing happening and it it's like they're human beings and they need to talk about it. Don't persecute them for, for coming and yeah. talking about their emotions. Let them work through it. It only makes them stronger. It also then you can decide really, you know, this is time for you to take time out and step right back and think whether you want to come back into the police force. Um, or, you know, or because I recommend you really do need the time out, but not with penalty. And this is something that's wrong too, right? The, the punishment that is there. Uh, we, as a psychologist, you know, Anybody that bottles anything up for any period of time, at some point it's going to explode. And most of the time it's either self-harm or harming someone else. So yes. we really need to deal with it right at the beginning before it gets to that level. Yes. Yes, absolutely. There needs to be help when people are traumatized. And of course, police officers can be traumatized. Mm -hmm. And we need to have senior police officers who advocate for that, yes, advocate yes. for people to seek psychotherapy but also there needs to be there needs to be psychologists in the departments who are helping people understand certain illnesses certain addictions look a lot of what they're doing is dealing with people who are mentally ill on the street or people who are addicted to one substance or another 
and, and that's complicated. These people will say things when they're in a state of, of, of inebriation that they nece wouldn't necessarily say if they were sober. So you can't take it so personally where you have to man up and sort of defeat yeah. Show them, you know, who's, yeah. who's, or who's boss. I've got the uniform on the gun. Yeah. I mean, you've, you hear this a lot with, you know, autistic people, um, you know, or dementia, and they're in distress and they're seeing people act out and they, oh, they must be on drugs and they go into their hand, into their pocket. And, you know, who knows what they're going to bring out? It's, it never is a weapon, you know, and immediately let's shoot them now and ask questions later. And it's if they, well, how do you feel about actually? social workers working with the police literally traveling with the police especially in troubled areas i think it's a great idea mm -hmm. i think it's a, it's a great idea and i know many many people in, in the mental health field would love to be in, in those positions because you could really make a difference how do we make it happen though i mean you've got such an entrenched you know, I mean, right now we look at from the outside in and with, with Congress, with everything else, we think, how can we get common sense to prevail? There are many, many solutions to the problem, but it feels like you're trying to just chisel a diamond with a stone in trying to get it across. How do we get it across? And many of the stories that I, I share here on social self-discovery media are people that have seen things that are wrong and go as citizens to put things right and create mm -hmm. laws, etc. because they know that if they wait for Congress or anything else, it's never going to happen. So they're stepping up themselves and forming their own organizations. Kudos to them. We need them, but we shouldn't, they shouldn't have to be doing that. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, it's an uphill battle, but each of us has to be responsible for a few things as adults. One is resolving the unresolved hurts that we have from our childhood or our adolescence so that we don't carry it into our adulthood. Amen. And we, we need to do that so that we don't pass it on and transfer it to other people. Secondly, we need to be on a journey, if you're not already, of self-discovery and understanding yourself and committing to perceiving accurately. It's a practice. You have to practice it. We all have biases. Everyone grows up with different biases about themselves and others. And we, as individuals, if we commit to perceiving accurately, we start to make a difference. And we can never assume that that won't make a difference because if you do that, then you, you may encourage me to do that. And I may encourage somebody else to do that. And then I take it to my group or your group or, you know, and we, and there are a lot of people who are committed to this throughout the country. I mean, the, the concept of empathy circles and deliberate polling where you bring people together and you have an expert come in on a certain subject like climate change, and you have two groups of people that are, and this has been done, who are exact opposites. One doesn't believe in it and the other does. And then after two days together, having reasonable conversations and doing some reading that the expert gives them, 70% of the people leave with a changed mind. Yes. Because yes. Because they actually looked at the facts. Yeah. These are the facts. Yeah. Is the ice melting in the polar regions or is it not? Here's the fact. You, you can debate it all you want, but this is the fact. You know. I had a wonderful um, author on, he's a pilot and his book is Just Two Choices. He said, the engine is on or it's off and you're going to act accordingly or you're going to do a nosedive into the water or wherever you are. And you know that it, 
even this show, Choose Positive Living, it, you know, abstaining from a choice is a choice. We're always making choices, but are we making choices based on, on um, education or reaction or fear? Um, are we listening to the right people for the right data? Or have we bought into something that's being yeah. sold? The drama, you know, the soap opera drama that constantly is going on. It, it is our choice what we buy. And I'm so pleased that you brought up the childhood drama. I, I have a book that's going to be coming out, which is collective authors, um, each contributing a chapter. And it's called the Forgotten Children series. And we're going to be talking about many of the problems uh, that we're that we're addressing in adulthood could have been prevented if we taken care of our children when they were younger, but most certainly is also about the forgotten child inside of us, because so many people are going through some emotional things as adults that are stemming from either a child of abuse or neglect or didn't have a voice or some form of pain or some trauma that was around them that was never dealt with, and yes. if we don't deal with it, it's going to manifest somewhere down the road. So. Yes. I'm really glad you brought that up because we really do have to address the inner child inside of us because most of us are carrying an injured child around with us. Yes. Oh, that sounds like a wonderful book. I mean, that, that's, a, that's an important uh, idea to explore because it has, it has such consequences in adulthood. Yes. We have to resolve the past so that we don't carry it into the present. And, and I, I don't like to belabor the past with people. I only focus on it when it interferes with the present. Right. Yeah, it's not about you reliving your drama and all of that. We don't want you to relive the pain. We want you to look at the pain and go, why is it stopping me from living? Right. So that and when you when you when you look at the people that are so easily triggered into anger or who have such a lack of empathy, who are narcissistic, you yes. know, that does come back to that childhood. Uh, of, of, of the living in that survival of me, myself, and I, and I've got to protect myself and never kind of reaching out into the sharing of the community and the caring for others. It's a defense mechanism, isn't it? Yes, yes. You know, I, I talk about the, I, it, it's, it's an unresolved, deep, deep hurt mm -hmm. that then allows people to stay stuck in narcissism. And yep. then it often can go along with sadism. Yes. We've had permission in this country in the last four or five years to be sadistic. It's okay. People have said things on TV and in the radio that we've never heard before, right. such insults, yes. insult, after insult after insult, and people have gotten desensitized to it. It's like, oh, you know, that's the way they talk now. So other people start to talk that way. And people who are angry and feel disenfranchised and, uh, then they fall prey to this. You know, we, we 123 people per day commit suicide in America, per day. And 70% of them are white, middle-class, unemployed men in the Midwest and South. And those are the people that have, were promised that coal is coming back and different kinds of machinery is going to come back and so forth and so on. None of it happened. But they were, giving, they were given an option for their anger. Yes. Look what the Democrats are doing to you. Right. And a lot of them were Democrats and became Republicans because they believed that this was going to be the answer. Mm -hmm. Now they're so wrapped up in it that they don't really they're not really examining the fact that nothing happened. Right. You still don't have a job. Right. They don't care about you. Yeah. It yeah. was all propaganda to get your vote. Yes. It, yes. it was manipulation. You don't have a job. Coal isn't coming back. None of these things came true. 
the unemployment rates in the South and the Midwest in America are still skyrocket. Nothing's changed. But there's always an invitation that if it's not there, you can step up and be creative and create something. The pivoting, the, you know, um, there is always a choice to pivot to something else. You know, um, I often refer to the book, Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. You know, the two mice and two men around a bundled cheese, the cheese is gone and the different reaction. And, you know, right now we've got the, um, the hem character is, give me back my cheese. I want my cheese. Who do I have to kill for my cheese? And it's like, look, man, the cheese is gone. You yes. want more cheese or you want more substance? You're the one that's going to have to get innovative to go out and find it. Don't just sit there waiting and grumbling and growling and shooting off. You know, that is called survival. When it's no longer there, you have to go looking for something else. And that's part of our personal growth. But for some people, it's the entitlement. I should have it, give it back to me. It's my right. Well, when people have that tendency, and then you have leaders that are saying, the way you're thinking is correct. Yeah. Okay. Look what they're doing to you. You're a victim. Mm. You should be angry. We're going to march on the Capitol. You know, you're you're given permission instead of it being corrected and reversed, which is an inward problem. You know, you can't solve an inward problem with an external solution. But instead of doing that, it's saying, you know, the the misdirection you were going in, that's the correct direction. Mm -hmm. Join me in the fight. We're going to fight. Yeah. It's going to be a fight. So as long as you fight hard, things will happen that are good for you. And, you know, yeah. when, we, when we talk about fighting, we're not talking about taking up guns or pitchforks. You know, there's, there's a different, we all fight for survival in some form or other. And it doesn't have to always be hard and it doesn't always have to be about suffering. It's, a, it's the willingness to explore, to be wondrous, to be adventurous. Uh, how many people... And I'm sure you've seen it a great deal in your work, but in my shows that I do, the people that have come from, I call it the cosmic two by four, it's flattened them. They've bottomed out. Their world has completely crumbled. They've had an enormous amount of loss in some form or other, but they decided to go through the process, discover the strength, discover their courage, discover their abilities, discover their meaningful purpose. And now they've stepped into that realm and now serving other people because that was their journey to have to their meaningful purpose and calling. But if we're not willing to go through the proper process, we're never going to discover what we're really here for. And, you know, I try to explain in the book how when people get involved with groups, and and it could be any different kind of group where you feel comfortable, but people start to help you. Mm -hmm. I give examples of people who are unemployed and depressed and suicidal, but then they're in a group with people who have overcome And they give them some uh, advice. And maybe you could go to a community college and become a surgical technician. You can get a loan. Or maybe you can start going to a gym. I go to a gym. You can take a yoga class. And and, and initially, they reject all of that. But as as attachment becomes more uh, more formidable, they start to follow the other people. And things start to change because it's the help of the other people. It's, It's the guide. You know, and some people that look at the AA program, people have been through it and they give so much to other people of their time because that's what was done for them. Right. Drive people to meetings. They help people get jobs. um, They get you a cup of coffee and a hamburger or something you want to eat because somebody did that for them. 
And that's what community is about, right? That's what community is about. You know, so inspiration begets invitation. When somebody is inspired by somebody else, their story, what they've done, what they've done through it, I I relate with them. You know, gosh, they they went through that and look who they are and what they're doing today. Is there something inside of me that's capable of doing that as well? And so, you know, that we also have to be very careful with whatever progress that we take is that we also don't put false expectations on other people. Just because we managed to make that journey up to that particular level doesn't mean that that particular level is for everyone. Each person has their own journey for their own reason, for their own meaningful purpose. So it's not somebody duplicating your journey. It's them being inspired by it to discover the courage and the strength and the abilities for their own journey. Yes, 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 so true. Yeah, to find their unique place. Mm what fits for, for you or what fits uniquely for someone else. Exactly. And we are unique. That's the beauty of it, right? We're all beautifully flawsome. Let's talk about the book Triumph of Diversity, because I love the this one as well. Tell us about that one, too. Well, you know, diversity, as prejudice, prejudice has increased in America, diversity has decreased. So I wrote the book that to try to explain to people all the benefits of diversity. Mm. You know, you, we, we, you, you open up your mind when you're exposed to people from different cultures, different religions, different countries. And, you know, I, I, in my practice, because I've met so many people all over the world, I, I, I haven't been to these places, but I kind of feel like mm-hmm. I have. Mm-hmm. Because you learn from their cultures and the, and the way they perceive. And, uh, and I've always learned from different religions as well. take a piece from one and a piece from another or an insight or a piece of wisdom from another. And that's what diversity is. It is not a bad thing. It had become a bad thing in this current era that we, we, you know, this white supremacy issue that that the the people of color are going to take over the world. Well, guess what? The people of color are here and Mm. they're not going away. And there's more kids of color in American schools than there are kids of, who are white. And that's not going to change either. Right. Not a bad thing. No. In fact, kids that grow up in diverse areas, they have less fear yeah. and less insecurity. Because when they meet somebody from a different culture, they, they're not surprised. It's not a big deal. It's yeah. not like an odd thing. Like, oh, my God, she looks so different or he looks so different. Human beings react to differences in appearance. But once we get familiarized and, and, and become comfortable, it's not an issue anymore. Just the vessel that we were born in, the culture that yes. we bring to yes. the table. If we could actually look at somebody's heart and soul, see that first. It doesn't matter what the container's in. As I said, you know, they may be bringing an African or an Asian or, you know, East Indian type culture to it. It doesn't matter. The whole point of it is, is what's the heart and soul? connection and children see heart and soul they don't care what the container is racism is taught people are not born with it and racism comes out of fear and of course as you've pointed out you know i can hear a racist right there going yes there's less white people in the schools they're diminishing us no they're not but who made america who made canada new zealand australia south africa emigrants people that were willing to for whatever reason, leave the country they know, go to another country and start again. And that is what's made it a beautiful smokers board of wonderful diversity and cultures, right? Yeah. And we, without those cultures, what would it be? And, and we should be celebrating that and realizing the gift that it's actually giving us. 
you know, to your point, if you talk to a kindergarten teacher, they'll tell you at recess, all the kids outside are playing with each other. Boys hold each other's hands. Mm -hmm. They don't know anything about the difference in culture or race or, right. but they will tell you by the time they're in fourth or fifth grade, you see a difference yeah. because it's the parents that are pulling them away. Yes. And the Indian kids have to eat lunch with the Indian kids and the Chinese, mm -hmm. kids, and, the Chinese kids. And, and, and they see, you know, my daughter, our daughter is a kindergarten teacher. And she says, once I meet the parents, I almost know what's going to happen in right. the next few years. Because you can see how close they might be yeah. or how open they might be. Because those kids are going to go into the world and feel safer. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you feel like you only have to be with your little clan and the other people are different, or threatening, you're always in a position of insecurity. Prejudice causes tension. Yes. Prejudice causes the release of the stress hormone because you're not comfortable with me because I look different. And like you said, what about the heart and soul? Yes. Is that different? <laughs> Hopefully we all have one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, anxiety is one of those things that brings about dis ease and we're seeing more diseases at a higher rate than ever before which i believe is coming around a great deal obviously diet and exercise but i think a great deal coming around from anxiety and fear and and you know that completely throwing off the entire body's equilibrium um are you seeing that yes absolutely i think i think we're at we're at a time where stress is very high mm. and and, the, and as i mentioned before the stress hormone cortisol is very damaging when it's in excess in the body i mean it, it kills neurons in the memory center of the brain it causes excess fat cells it causes weight gain it causes anxiety depression it causes insomnia it causes hair loss i mean it, it is a very damaging damaging stress hormone that we can't afford to have in our system very long. But when you go out in the world and you're, you're in a world with all this prejudice and hate, you, you are stressed. Yeah. How can you yeah. not be stressed? Because yeah. you don't feel safe and comfortable. Then you have to go back to your own little clan where you only know a few people that you feel safe with. And that, that has become more common now. And what the, the triumph of diversity would be, open up, reach out. Yes. Don't stay just with people who look like you or talk. Or How boring. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> novelty. The brain needs novelty. Yes. I mean, you know, we, we, we look at Alzheimer's and dementia, you know. Um, um, yeah, some people have put it to deodorant and aluminum and there's other elements, etc. But, you know, I feel that an awful lot of people... Um, we see this memory loss that they get as they get older, but it's that they've stopped engaging themselves in new things yes. or, you know, or in doing something that requires their mind to really be deep and, and work out a puzzle because that's what it's there for, right? It's there to constantly, you know, find a solution or an equation to something. And the moment they kind of come back, well, yeah, I don't need to do anything. I don't need to think anymore. Well, you, your brain is then shutting down and going, okay, all right, I, I can leave you now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's so true. You see the depression rates, the alcoholism rates in, in people who are retired and are just doing the same thing every day. And, and yeah, you you look, when I'm on vacation, you know, you know I'm, I'm a pretty high energy person, but I'm on vacation for a couple of weeks and, and someone says, well, who's going to go get the milk? And it's just like two minutes down the road. You know, 
oh, you want me to go get it? You want me to, you know, I mean, you, you, I get a little lazy in the yeah. brain, you know, because I'm not really doing much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you do get active, um, everything about you, you know, your posture, your this, your that, everything about you is sharper. And, and when you are tired, you are tired because it's been mind body at, that has been working and it's ready to tire down instead of tired just because it's feeling lethargic because you're not yeah. doing anything. So well, the old saying, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, we, there is no age barrier anymore. Is there is that, um, it doesn't matter. Don't use the age as an excuse. I live with a almost 88 year old who is just a dynamo of, of energy and, and that her sheer joy of life is intoxicating the simple little things that she enjoys yeah. so much. Um, and then, you know, the oldest person I've interviewed is 88 who has her own TV show and has just got a new love interest. So, you know, the thing is, it's, it's not over. It's about <coughs> your participation in life. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to buy into the division, if you're going to buy into the hate, if you're going to buy into the loathing and, and all of that, you're going to shorten your life. One way or the other, you're going to shorten your life. You're certainly going to be constantly living a miserable life. But when you can come from the heart, come from the soul, ignite with other people's hearts and souls, they really want to be there of how can we build? How can we support? How can we expand this beautiful energy into something that really can be exuberant and embracing and a safe haven for other people? There's a beautiful reason to live and to live long and prosper. Yes, yes. You express yourself very, very well. You're very wise. Thank you. Thank you. You have, you have, you have a tremendous amount of wisdom. Uh, well, it's um, I'm a knowingness coach, which I channel, but also been around the block a few times. And these gray hairs have got a quite a number of things that have happened. Yeah, them, so okay. you're, we learn. You're, you're observing and learning as you're going around the block. We you have know? to do that, though, don't we? You know, and I think the other thing is. Um, Please do not be a self-persecutor, you know, because that is just something that just holds us back. And we, we are that when we feel we don't fit in or we're not living to, up to other people's expectations. I, I should be more like so-and-so. No, you shouldn't. Be yourself. This is the reason you were given you is to be the exuberant you and bring that to the table. And if it's not enough for some people, that's okay. It's going to be enough for the people that get your vibe and become part of your tribe. Yes. Because we can sure get ourselves into a piddle over that one, can't we? <laughs> so I've only got three books here. So there is the four books. I've got the, you know, the Triumph of Diversity, the Soulful Leader, and obviously America Reunited. But do you have another one there? You mentioned something about the empathy book. The power of Empathy. Uh... It was it was a book, one of my first books, mm -hmm. and it's still in uh, people can still get it. Yeah, it's on Kindle on Amazon now, and it, it's been published in I think eight different countries right now. Wonderful. Just got published in China. Oh, <laughs> do they need to read it there? Yeah. <laughs> I think anybody that leads with empathy, it, it's just respect and consideration, right? It's um, it's one of those things that if you it's integrity right and if we aren't prepared to hear i mean if somebody is so angry and they are so outraged and you could just get them to slow down for a moment which don't react right and just say okay let's get to the bottom of this let's get to the core of this why are you so angry let's reverse engineer 
because yes. this reaction isn't about you hate my face this reaction is going far far deeper yes but we've got to be willing to take that journey of that discovery of what is our issue how do we release it so we can step up and be a, a, a more fruitful person and empathy is the one capacity that allows the person who's angry to slow down and uncover what's beneath it because most of the time anger is a secondary emotion mm -hmm. you're hurt you're disappointed you feel slighted any of those things and then you get angry because superficially the adrenaline flows and you feel like you have some power because you're going to insult me or say something nasty or and that's going to make a difference when it only makes everything worse but when you're able to slow down people who are angry and ask them exactly what is hurting you what is hurting you that you're so angry you start to find out what their perceptions are and then you can start to tease out what's accurate in their perceptions and what's inaccurate and that's where the change takes place because when you relax them that's what empathy does it you're producing you know the giving and receiving of empathy produces oxytocin mm -hmm. the near miracle you know love connected hormone and it makes people feel generous and trusted and safe and when you can do that, you can get underneath the anger to find out what is it made up of? Yeah. Well, I know you don't like me. Uh, based on what? Well, you were frowning. Well, I had a headache. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, you know, we're not saying that you have to go around liking and loving everyone, but it, it yeah. is don't go around persecuting them or macheting them because the, you know, you, you don't like their vibe. It just means that you're on a different frequency. Um, which is, you know, we, we all travel at different frequencies and, and it, the basic thing is, are we collectively creating a harmony or are we creating a disruption? And, you know, we've been in flight or fight mode, I think a man has since the beginning of time. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, you know, when the uh, elves say it's the time of man. And, and I think, you know, it's the time of man to grow up and to step up into a more empathic and considerate and compassionate and loving way because um, our survival and the survival of the planet really needs it. The, we've seen through history, anger and hate produces nothing but death and discord and destruction. Mm -hmm. Yes, I totally agree. So let's get people up there. Uh, stepping into it and let's see where can they find your books for a start well they're all they're all on amazon right so that's the triumph of diversity uh, the soulful leader the empathetic uh, what was it called the the uh, uh, the power of empathy the power of empathy and america reunited and they can find that all on amazon now how did they find you and what are you offering people um, my website is balanceyoursuccess.com. They can reach me through the website. And what are you offering people? How can you help them? Well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in full-time private practice and I have three groups and I do Zoom sessions with people all over the country and in other countries. So uh, luckily with this technology, we don't have to be in person anymore. So right. I can talk to anyone. Um, so I can consult I consult with companies and institutions, but also individuals and do a lot of relationship uh, psychotherapy. 
I firmly believe that it's the individuals that collectively come together that are going to be the change that we are needing in the world and that then the leadership will change according to that. But if we're waiting for leadership to lead us the way, we're going to keep being on a rocky road. If we step up as communities, as individuals and say, this is my part in it. This is my part that I'm going to put right. This is my, I'm inviting other people to join me. We start seeing that domino effect and that's how we're going to change the society. Yes. But it all stems with us. What's yes. inside of us? What's upsetting us? Why are we reacting the way we are? Why do we think the way we are? We need to take that ownership. We need to look inside and go, where is it coming from? Is it serving me? Is it serving anyone else around me? How do I reprogram myself into thinking in, in a more open and positive and loving way? Yes. And then we will see a totally different world, which I'm looking forward to seeing, most certainly. <laughs> too. I'm certainly looking forward to a change in our, in our tenor, in our, in our way of relating and, and hoping that kindness compassion and empathy can return and will be accompanied by civility and rationality. Amen to that. Amen to that. So balanceyoursuccess.com, please reach out to him. Um, you know, there are many institutions where you talked about with the police force and, and, and anything where we're dealing with people that may be different and that we need help you know, like the social worker in there, the psychotherapist in the organization, it's not just the police force, it's everywhere when we need that, that common sense and that balance. And before you make that decision or that reaction, let's look at what potentially the outcome could come from that. So we need that in every organization. So, um, you know, I advocate for that because we can't just keep going on the adrenaline only because we know that that's not working. Yes. Take the deep breath. Let's look at the situation. Is this going to work for you? And you need somebody with a rational mind and that comes from the heart that's going to do that, which is really important. Thank you so much for being with us here today. This has been an absolute delight. And uh, thank you for writing the books and sharing and doing what you're doing. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I enjoyed talking with you uh, very much. Thank you, folks. We all, all have the solution around us, within us, uh, within our community. Let's just put down the anger. Let's just say, you know, I'm tired of it. I hate the way it makes me feel. There is so much more that we can do. And like United, we are a beautiful, beautiful canvas. So let's step up and be a part of that canvas. Until next time, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. You will hear many, many shows here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. We have new shows for you out every week. Just find them on our podcast or, or what's new. If you feel that you have something to share that makes a difference in the lives of others, or you too feel that you could be a host, please contact me at info at selfdiscoverymedia.com and we will be glad to speak with you. Have a wonderful day.